Most people have heard of only one war of the end times, what is normally referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. But the Bible speaks of nine end time wars. For an overview of these wars, presented at the ancient fortress of Megiddo that overlooks the Valley of Armageddon, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Over the past few weeks, we have been taking you on a pilgrimage through the Holy Land. We began in Tel Aviv at Independence Hall. From there we journeyed up the coast to visit sites like Caesarea Maritime, the Roman capital during the time of Christ. Our third program focused on the area around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus had the headquarters of His ministry. Last week we visited the city of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. In this program we are going to take a look at two sites en route to Jerusalem. The first is the ancient fortress of Megiddo which controlled access to the Valley of Jezreel or the Valley of Armageddon as it is known among Christians today. We began our visit to Megiddo at the Visitor Center by taking a look at an animated model of the site. From there we headed up to the top of Megiddo to take a look at the ruins of the Valley of Armageddon. As you can see the site has been thoroughly excavated revealing a total of 26 layers of ruins dating back to 4500 B.C. The fortress was built to control the trade route between Assyria and Egypt which passed through the Valley of Jezreel. And that's what I want to talk to you about, the final battles of the end time. You know, every time a war breaks out over here, without exception, we get calls and email messages and all asking, is this the battle of Armageddon? And the reason for that is because most people are only familiar with one battle of the end times, and that's the battle of Armageddon. So every time a war breaks out, people want to know, is this the battle of Armageddon? Most people know that name, even people in the secular world. We've had movies named Armageddon. People are always, or secular writers are talking about, well, we're in the time of Armageddon, and on and on it goes. So, what I want to point out to you today is that I believe that Bible prophecy mentions nine wars in the end times, and only one of them is the Battle of Armageddon. And as you're going to find out, there's no battle at all, none whatsoever. So let's take a look for a moment at what those wars are that are prophesied in the end times. Now the one that most people talk about is Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog that's mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And the person who's written about that the most recently, who's gotten the most attention is Joel Rosenberg, who is a very, very fine writer and great fiction writer and uh, is a student of Bible prophecy and really loves Bible prophecy. I've been with him on several uh, uh, podiums when we were shared in conferences, and I've got to know him well. He's a great guy. And he is the one who has really popularized the idea that the next major prophetic war will be Ezekiel 38 and 39. I think he's wrong about that because Ezekiel 38 and 39 says that it will occur at a time when Israel is living in peace without walls. Well, folks, Israel is not living in peace today. 
and it certainly is not living without walls. It has a wall that runs the entire length of the country. By the time it does all its zigzags and everything, it runs 400 miles long. In some places, it's more of a scientific wall in the sense of a technological wall that if you cross, it sets off all kinds of alarms. Other places, it's a big tall war wall, but it's been necessary to stop the terrorists from coming into Israel, and it has been extremely effective in stopping them. So Israel is not living in peace right now. Another thing that's interesting about the Ezekiel 38-39 war is it says that it's going to be an invasion led by Russia with certain specified allies. And all the allies are specified, and all of them are Muslim states today. But the thing that's interesting is not one single one that's mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39 has a common border with Israel. Not a one. So it makes you ask, well, why is it that none of the states that have a common border with Israel, why is it that they're not mentioned? Come on over here. So the person who has come up with that answer in recent years has been a fellow named Bill Solace, who's a good personal friend of mine. Gary knows him very well. Bill Solace. Bill wrote a book called Israelstein, and he made a point that I immediately endorsed, and that is that there's the first war of the end times that's in Bible prophecy is the war of Psalm 83. And if you read that psalm, it's a short psalm, it talks about the fact that all of the Arab states in the end times will get together and say, now is the time for us to annihilate the state of Israel. So we call it the Psalm 83 War of Annihilation. And the interesting thing about it is it names the nations that are going to come against Israel, and the, every nation it names is one that has a common boundary with Israel. So it's Gaza. Uh, it's uh, Jordan, it's Lebanon, all the ones that have a common border, they are the ones who come against Israel to annihilate it in Psalm 83. I think that's going to be the next great war in the Middle East. And the thing that's interesting about Psalm 83 is it doesn't tell who wins the war, but we know who wins it. Because in Zechariah chapter 12, it says that in the end times, one of the miracles that God's going to perform is that Israel will have one of the greatest military forces in the world. Now, Israel is one of the smallest countries in the world, but it's always ranked in the top four in terms of military power, and many rank it number one in the effective use of its power. So I think that probably the first war of the end times that's in prophecy is going to be the Psalm 83 war when these nations that have a common boundary with Israel will come against it and try to destroy Israel. I think that's most likely when Damascus will be destroyed, because two times in the Old Testament we're told that Damascus will cease to exist in the end times. The Syrians have highly sophisticated missiles. They could put a missile right down the smokestack of any building in Tel Aviv that they want to, and they're only shooting them 125 miles. They're not shooting them thousands of miles. And Syria also has all kinds of chemical weapons. If they were to attack Tel Aviv with chemical weapons, Probably the only way the Israelis would be able to defend themselves is to use one of their tactical missile, uh, uh, nuclear weapons to blow up the city of uh, Damascus. So it could very well be that in that very first war is the one in which Damascus will cease to exist. But it's a war between Israel and all those, the inner circle of Muslim states that have a common boundary. I think it's going to be the first one. The second war of the end times I think is going to be the one in Ezekiel 38 and 39 where Russia comes down with 
certain specified Muslim allies, but all of those states are the outer ring. None of them have a single common border with Israel. I think what will happen is in that first war, Israel will conquer all of the states around it, and Israel will finally have peace. And at that point, the Muslim world will turn to its natural ally, and its natural ally is Russia. And I think the Russians will come smiling from ear to ear because they have always wanted to dominate the Middle East. And what they really want is not so much the annihilation of Israel as they want access to all the Arab oil fields. So the Arabs will invite them in and they'll say, oh yeah, sure, we'll come. And they will come. And they will be destroyed supernaturally upon the hills of Israel, it says. They won't be destroyed by the Israeli Defense Forces. That's the first war. Psalm 83, the Israeli Defense Forces will take care of them. But that time, God will do it. And He will do it in such a way that even the people of Israel will realize that God did it. And I think that time, many of these people will begin to believe. I think it includes many of our guides who have heads full of Scripture. And I think it's going to move, boom, when they suddenly see God intervene and deliver the nation of Israel. So the first war I think is going to be that Psalm 83 war. The next one would be that Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. We don't know when that's going to occur. There's lots of debate among prophecy scholars as to when it will occur. Some think it's going to occur in the middle of the tribulation. Some at the beginning of the tribulation. Some think it will start before the tribulation. I tend to think it's going to start before because it talks about the fact that when that war is over, they're going to spend seven years cleaning up the battlefield. And we know that in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to run the Jews out of the country. They're not going to be there to clean up the battlefield. So I think most likely the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 will start three and a half years before the tribulation begins, and they'll finish it up in the middle of the tribulation cleaning up the battlefields. But those are the first two. When you get to Revelation chapter 6, the tribulation begins. The tribulation does not begin with the rapture of the church. There could be months or even years between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation probably will be several months to a year. They're going to be close together, I think. But the tribulation begins when the Antichrist signs a treaty with Israel that allows Israel to rebuild its temple. And when that happens, you can count down to the day that Jesus Christ is going to come. That's one of the reasons I know there's a difference in the rapture and the second coming is because the rapture can occur any moment. When the Bible says you cannot know when the Lord's returning, that refers to the rapture. Because we know when the Lord's the second coming is going to occur. It's going to occur exactly three, uh, uh, seven years from the date that that treaty is signed. It even tells in the book of Revelation how many days that will be until the Lord comes. So if you're here during the tribulation, you can count it. You can calculate it when the Lord's going to come. Now, the Antichrist is going to come to power out of the European Union. And he's going to come to power, it says, through cunning, through deception, through his charismatic personality. And I think he's going to use all those things to take over the European Union. But let me tell you something. Once he takes over, it doesn't matter how much charisma he has, he is not going to turn to the world and say, come and worship me. The world is going to say, you're nuts. Because the world has not spent the last 250 years getting out from underneath European colonialism to suddenly turn around and say to a European ruler, come rule us. South America is not going to do that. Asia is not going to do that. They're going to say, you know, we've had enough of European colonialism. We're not going to let you rule us. And so what happens is as soon as the Antichrist comes to power, we're told in Revelation chapter 6 that he launches a war. It is a war to, con to, uh, to conquer the world. It's a conventional war. 
You can read his, uh, the, the, the description of it in Revelation 6. It's a very conventional war. But in the process of that war, he slaughters 1.5 billion people on planet Earth. It says in, that, in, in, in the description of that war that one-fourth of humanity will die. One-fourth. Today we have close to 7 billion people on planet Earth. Let's say a billion of those are taken out in the rapture. That's going to leave 6 billion here on this Earth. One-fourth of 6 billion is 1.5 billion people that are going to go out in this initial war. Then in chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Revelation, the war begins to morph it begins to morph from a conventional war into a nuclear war. And it talks about how suddenly one-third of the earth is burned up. Jesus himself said, In the end times men will faint from fear, from the terrors that will come upon the world. And I think it's going to morph into nuclear weapons. I think what happens, you see, is, is when mankind begins to rebel against God, God steps back and He lowers the hedge of protection. Read Romans 1. He lowers the hedge of protection. And if there's no repentance, He steps back and He lowers the hedge of protection. And it says in Romans 1, there's a third time He'll step back and lower it, and then He turns them over to a depraved mind. Basically what He's saying is, if you want to live that way, I will let you live that way, and I will stop giving you any protection whatsoever, and I'll let evil take its course. And so I think that's what's going to happen during the Great uh, Tribulation is that God's just going to step back and man's going to begin to use those weapons that have been restrained up to that time. It says that another one-third of humanity will die during the sec that second period. That's another one and a half billion. So by the middle of the tribulation, the book of Revelation teaches that one half of the population of the world will be dead. Three billion people. I have preachers sometimes call me and say, do you think we're in the tribulation? <laughs> and I say, if we were in the tribulation, you wouldn't have to call anybody and ask them. I mean, <laughs> you will know it when we, if, you're, if you're in the tribulation. I don't plan to be here, but you'll know it if you're here. Because it's going to be beyond anything that is... Jesus said, if I don't stop it, all mankind would cease to exist. The only reason anybody's going to live to the tribulation is I'm going to bring it to an end. It's going to be that terrible. So, we have the Psalm 83 war in which Israel defeats its inner ring of enemies. The, Psalm, the, the, uh, the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, Gog and Magog, where Israel, God defeats the outer ring of enemies. Then in addition to that, we have the first war of the tribulation, the second war of the tribulation. And then in the middle of the tribulation, there's another war. Right in the middle of the tribulation, there is a supernatural war. It says in Revelation chapter 12 that suddenly Satan decides one last time to try to take the throne of God right in the middle of the tribulation. And so he and his angels make an attack upon the throne of God, upon heaven itself, to try to take it one last time. And it says that when that happens, that Michael, who is the commander-in-chief of the armies of God, that Michael and his angels confront Satan and his angels in the atmosphere of this planet, and there's a great battle. And as a result of that battle, it says Satan is defeated and he is cast down to earth. And it says he has no more access to the throne of God. He still has access to the throne of God. He can, he can condemn us. He can charge us before the throne of God. And I, I'd love to see that because I can see him, you know, up there before the throne of God attacking Vaughn. And Jesus saying, oh, by the way, Vaughn's covered by my blood. <laughs> you might as well forget about him. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, 
Satan is cast down. And there's a very interesting statement there in Revelation 12 about Satan. It says that when he's cast down, he knows his time is short. That means Satan knows Bible prophecy. That's why people, when people ask me, do you think the Antichrist is alive today? I say, yeah. It's always been alive, always. Satan knows Bible prophecy, but he doesn't know timing. So I think throughout all of history, he's always had a candidate that he's ready to anoint. When God plays his card, he's going to play his card. It might have been Mussolini at one time or Hitler or whoever, but he's ready to play his card. So I think the Antichrist has always been alive. He's always had a candidate ready to go. But it says there he knows his time is short. He knows he's only got three and a half years. And so he becomes obsessed with one thing, one thing he's going to do in that three and a half years. And that's destroy every Jew on planet earth. Everyone. Because he hates the Jews with a passion. As I said the other day, he hates them because God gave the Bible through them. He hates them because God gave the Messiah through them. He hates them because they're the chosen people of God. And he hates them because God has said, in the end times, I'm going to save a great remnant of the Jews. And he don't want to see a Jew saved. So in the book of Zechariah, we're told that in the last three and a half years of the tribulation, that two-thirds of the Jews on planet earth will be destroyed by Satan. There'll be a greater holocaust than the Nazi holocaust. But the glorious thing is that at the end of the tribulation, that remnant that's left is going to look upon him whom they have pierced, and they're going to weep and wail and mourn, and they're going to cry out, Baruch HaBaba Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus said, I will not come back until the Jewish people are willing to say that. And that's when they're going to say it. They're going to be brought to the end of themselves. In the Old Testament, they run to Egypt all the time. In the New and, and today they run to the United States all the time. But they're going to get to the point at the end of that tribulation where there is no one to turn to because all the nations of the world are opposed to them. The only thing they can turn to is God, and they will turn to God. And the veil will be lifted, and a great remnant will be saved. So we've got the war of Psalm 83, the war of Gog and Magog, both of those probably before the tribulation. The initial wars of the tribulation, first three and a half years, a conventional war, an atomic war. Then the war in the heavens in the middle of the tribulation. Then the war of the Antichrist against the Jews in the second half of the tribulation when he begins to persecute the Jews and try to kill every Jew on planet earth. And it's during that time that I think his attention is so distracted from his kingdom that he just completely uh, loses it because he's only focused on one thing, killing the Jews. And at that point, I think all the nations of Asia say, hey, this is our opportunity. Let's revolt against this madman. And they begin to march across Asia, an army of 200 million coming over to fight him. And it says in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, he hears of these armies coming and that he's very distressed by the news of these armies. And he decides he must make an invasion into the Middle East. And he brings his armies from Rome and all. And he invades the Middle East. And it says he goes down to Egypt, all the way to Egypt, and back up into Israel. And he camps his army in the valley of Armageddon. And he waits there for all of these hundreds of millions of other armies to come. They're converging from all over the world as he waits. Interesting. It says in Daniel 11, he is not allowed to go into Jordan. Not allowed to go there. Kept out of there. And I think the reason for that is I think that when the Jews flee Jerusalem in the middle of the tribulation, they're going to flee into Jordan, and that's going to be their haven, possibly at Petra. They will be protected there by God. And another reason I believe that is because it says in the book of Isaiah that when the Messiah returns, he goes first to Jordan, to Basra, and it apparently picks up the Jewish remnant there and brings them with him as he comes to Jerusalem to land on the Mount of Olives. So we have that 
war there of the Antichrist against the Jews. That brings us to the end of the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, then all of these armies are encamped there in the valley of Armageddon, 200 million more coming. And suddenly, at the end of the tribulation, the Lord breaks from the heavens on a white war horse. He returns to the Mount of Olives. He touches the mount. It splits in half. He speaks a supernatural word, it says in Zechariah 14. He speaks a supernatural word. This is the one who spoke and the whole universe came into existence. He speaks a supernatural word. And when it does, it's like a, a neutron bomb goes off because it says that all of the people gathered in the valley of Armageddon, that suddenly their tongues melt in their mouth, their eyeballs melt in their socket, their skin falls off their bodies. It is no wonder it says that the valley will be full of blood as high as a horse's uh, 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 rain for the entire valley. Horse's bridle. It's, it's just going to be incredible. It's just an, it, there is no battle of Armageddon. The Lord speaks. He doesn't send out an army. He doesn't need to send out an army. He just speaks. And the Antichrist and his forces cease to exist. I wish that were the last battle of history, but it's not. At that point, the Lord Jesus Christ judges everyone who's left alive at the end of the tribulation, both Jew and Gentile. There's a Jewish judgment and there's a Gentile judgment. And he allows all those at the end of the tribulation who believe in him, who have put their faith in him, he allows them to go into the millennium in the flesh. So the millennium begins with a very small group of people, Jews and Gentiles, who have lived to the end of the tribulation, who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we will be there in glorified bodies to reign over them. That's one of the, the rewards. We're going to have degrees of reward. And one of them is one will reign over one, one will reign over two cities, one will reign over five cities, another over ten cities. That's part of our rewards. We'll be scattered all over the earth to reign over those who are in physical bodies. And those who come in the millennium in the flesh will begin to repopulate the earth very, very rapidly. It says in the book of Micah, for example, that those who live during that time will live as long as a tree. It says if, if a person were to die at 100, they would be wept over as if they were a baby. I think what's going to happen is God is going to return the lifespan of man to what it was at the beginning when people lived 800, 900 years. They'll live the whole millennium, and they'll be repopulating the earth. The population of the earth will grow exponentially, and we will be in charge of, 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 of governing these people with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus, where the earth has been flooded with peach righteousness and justice for 1,000 years, Satan will be released. He's going, to be, he's going to be captivated at the very first. He's going to be put in a pit and, and he's going to be held there. But at the end, he's going to be released. Now, people say, well, why is that? Why would the Lord do that? I think one of the reasons is because God is going to use the millennium to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the evil in the world is due to the evil in our hearts and not to the evil in society. History goes in a cycle. It begins with two people in a perfect environment who rebel against God. It ends up with all of mankind in a perfect rebellion, and they end up rebelling against God. And the last war of history is, again, a war of Gog and Magog right at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when God destroys supernaturally all of the forces that come against Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And then we enter into the eternal state where there will never again be any war whatsoever. Eternal peace. I can hardly wait for that day to come, but there's going to be a lot of conflict in the meantime. What is the message of all this? The message is very simple. 
The message is God is in control. God has the wisdom, He has the power to orchestrate all the evil of mankind to the triumph of Jesus Christ. He's in control. And the message is that you and I and all of us, we win in the end. Hallelujah. Well, here we are at a place called Bet Shon. It's over near the Jordan River. We've driven all the way across the uh, Valley of Armageddon from uh, Megiddo to get here. And as you can see here in the background, this is a place where you can contrast the old with the new. In the far background is a tell, a classic tell. There's probably some 21, 22 cities just built right on, they, they destroy one, build on top of it, destroy one, build on top of it. This goes back some 4,500 years, the Canaanite time. And then down at the base of this tell, you can see a uh, Roman city, the ancient Roman city, down here at the base of the tail. And all of this was destroyed by an earthquake in the 700s and uh, completely abandoned and left to accumulate uh, dust and soil until finally it was completely covered over and only excavated in modern times. So what a contrast between the time of the Romans and the ancient city. Now, let me tell you something about that tale, though, that's very interesting. When King Saul was killed by the Philistines in battle, they cut off his head and they took his body and his armor and they brought it here to this tell. He was killed not far from here in, at, near Mount Gilboa. And they went up to the wall that existed at that time around the city and they nailed his body and his armor to the wall. And later on, when the word got out that that had happened, some of the Jewish people came and raided at night and got his body and took it and gave it a decent uh, a burial. In fact, they burned his body and gave it a burial. Now, I want to show you something else about the kind of strange things you run into over here in this land. Up on the top of this tail, and we're going to zero in on it, at the top of this tail there is a tree, a barren tree that you can see at the top there. That is not a natural tree, a natural dead tree. When they were filming the movie Jesus Christ Superstar, I guess they just happened to be in this area, and they decided that they were going to film the hanging of Judas. <laughs> so they put an artificial tree in concrete up at the top there, and they filmed the scene of Judas hanging himself, and they left it. And it's been a part of the landscape ever since. That's the kind of crazy things you run into all across this land. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you will be back with us next week, the Lord willing, when we will arrive in Jerusalem. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Dr. David Reagan's teaching on all of the nine end times wars is available on the DVD album titled The Wars of the End Times. The message featured in the programs was presented at the Chino Hills Prophecy Conference, sponsored by Hope for Today, the teaching ministry of David Hawking. Follow Dr. Reagan as he shows you where each war is found in scriptures and gives the background needed to help you understand what is going to take place in the end times. The Wars of the End Times DVD album is available for a donation of $12 or more plus shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time or order online at lamblion.com. 
Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 